Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, business editor of Variety. Today, my guest is Dana Walden, chairman of Disney Television Studios and ABC Entertainment. Dana was already one of the industry's most powerful television executives when she was co-head of Fox Television Group prior to Disney's acquisition of 21st Century Fox. Now she's leading the charge for Disney in primetime series production, and she's steering the ship at ABC. Walden made her first public remarks since she moved to Disney in a Q&A with me in Los Angeles that was held as part of Variety's annual TV Summit on June 12th. Here, Walden offers insights into how Disney is managing what she described as television's existential crisis. She was candid about the challenges ahead for traditional media, and she spoke from the heart about the importance of maintaining a healthy workplace culture in the post-MeToo era. Thank you, Dana, for your time. Yeah, of course. I thought that was weird where my team wasn't even clapping. I'm like, what just happened? Judging by that reel, you have a lot going on. Yeah, yeah, a lot of good stuff. I'm so proud of that reel. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about... Uh, let's talk about, obviously, it's been a historic period for the industry, for Disney. The acquisition of 21st Century Fox after a long run was finally complete in March. During that process, I know you had no shortage of options for what your next move might have been. Why did you say yes to Disney? Well, I would say, I mean, I don't want to be uh, flip or cavalier about it. It was really a no-brainer for me. Um, I really, you know, being a part of this industry over the past five years and seeing the incredibly dynamic change and the disruption to our business, you know, my fantasy and my dream was to be at a company that was really about creativity and storytelling, but one that was also oriented towards the future. And I feel like that's exactly where I've ended when you have, you know, just an extraordinary visionary leader like Bob Iger who looks at what I think can be described as a kind of existential crisis for traditional media companies. And you have two choices in that situation. You can put your head in the sand, and I think we've seen some of our competitors do that. Or we've also seen people kind of dip a toe in the water and start, you know, sort of very specific, smaller streaming companies. And it just felt like, you know, in those circumstances for Bob to just take this enormous step and acquire Fox at, you know, quite an, a number and just make a declaration about taking this beloved company about characters and storytellers and just putting them into the future. And, you know, when I looked around and thought about companies which are fundamentally the phone company, a cable company, a retail company, um, companies where the tech started the businesses and then the creativity was acquired. Culturally, I think those companies are always going to be very different from a company that's been about storytelling for almost 100 years. And all started by a mouse, as you often right. said. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Let me ask you, in the, in the process of you know, making that decision, and and once you were you know once once the industry was you know was surprised to learn that the Murdochs were were 
you know, considering, open to considering a sale. Did, during that period, did, did the changes in the industry, did they crystallize in your mind in a different way when you knew that, you know, Fox, which was, you know, I mean, it was such a shock because it was such a robust business. Rupert was a buyer, not a seller. Was that, did you, did you, was that process a, a learning process for what you just described, like where you see the company going? The, I'm sorry, the industry going? Yeah, no question. And, you know, I think Rupert disrupted again. I mean, I think the narrative around, is he a buyer or a seller? You know, he was a buyer at the time that people weren't acquiring, you know, enormous station groups or buying a studio or launching a competitor to the broadcast networks or acquiring the NFL on a pretty spectacular scale. That was disruptive at that time. Mm -hmm. I think what was disruptive, you know, in 2018 was him making an extraordinary deal to sell his company. And I do, I do feel like our company got the benefit of seeing what the shortcomings are of the various streaming competitors, you know, what we can do that might be better. And again, doing it at a scale that's kind of undeniable. This is going, um, or is now, arguably the biggest content company in the business with, you know, the second largest streaming platform in the business with an incredibly robust plan to launch Disney Plus, which is, you know, you, I'm sure you were at Investor Day Mm -hmm. and you just saw this incredible collection of beloved brands and content and original programming. Again, situated really to win and having the ability to look at, you know, some of the missteps of our competitors. All of those things came together relatively quickly, but they all made great sense. And, uh, yeah, that's a long way Mm -hmm. of saying yes. Mm -hmm. I I think we did learn a lot in those 18 months. When you saw, when you saw the investor day and also the upfront, when you saw those, that just the sheer amount of brands and IP together, it really, it really made sense when you sort of visually saw it, and then you look at all that and you realize that Disney owns every bit of it. It's not going to walk away in five years when the license runs out. It's, right. It's enormously impressive. Is it almost daunting? You have so much to <laughs> so much to work from, so much to to choose from. No, I I am exhilarated. I feel so excited every day when I go to work. I feel like. You know, when you look across the company and both the platforms and the studios, the amount of creativity, um, the value proposition to great creators to come and make their home at our company is extraordinary. And, you know, I wish there were a few more hours in the day <laughs> right. because it does make it hard to be able to see everything. But you know what? That's really not my job. My job is to make sure that I'm seeing enough, but that I have the right you know, business leaders in place who are managing the various areas, you know, where I am working. Craig Hunnigs is here right now, who's now overseeing all of our studios business. Wendy McMahon, who runs the own TV stations. Carrie Burke, who's just recently stepped in to run ABC. And Tom Ashheim, who's running Freeform. You know, my job now is more about making sure, you know, best players are on the field than being in the weeds and feeling like 
I have to, you know, somehow touch every show that's coming out of our company. Right. You got to read five more scripts before you go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. How did you, so when you decided to say yes and when you, how did you, what was the process of deciding how you were going to organize things? Because I think there was a lot of speculation, including in my stories, there was speculation that you would, you would collapse the, the very large 20th Century Fox TV operation in an ABC studios into one large division. You have not done that. You've, you've kept 20th distinct. You've kept Fox 21 Television Studios distinct and ABC Studios distinct. How did you come to that structure? Yeah, that was a lot of um, the benefit of the period of time we had while the transaction was going through the various regulatory processes around the world was we had the opportunity to really think about what was in the best interest of mostly creators and then the creative process with the final result being the shows that we produce and, um, you know, how we can expand our output in a way that is most talent-friendly. And Peter Rice and I, you know, along with Ravi Ahuja, who is um, his head of business, Mm -hmm. we spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, what's a structure that makes sense at the studios? And ultimately where we came out was the notion of having a horizontal structure not trying to build one big super studio that has a lot of layers and a lot of process. And we didn't want to funnel creatively that started very wide and ultimately build, you know, came through just a small number of creative filters. So what we have now with each of these studios is we have president-level executives And then we have very high-level executives in every critical area, in business affairs, in production, in casting, in our creative affairs areas. And we feel like contracting those businesses would have, by definition, given us fewer filters, fewer opportunities to have great relationships with our creators, and that we were building a bureaucratic organization, and that's the opposite of what we wanted. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, and in in sort of assembling the the components of the division that you run, um, of course, you know, content licensing is is now such an engine for all of the media companies. You know, there's almost I think you could say that there's more monetization, pure monetization, that goes off goes on off of. ABC's air or Freeform's air than in that, you know, that, that first run airing. How much would you say that your focus is on the, you know, feeding the networks, programming the networks versus thinking about things that can either feed Disney Plus, whether originals or, or going downstream down the road to, a Disney, to Disney Plus or the, you know, what we expect to see kind of a, a reimagined Hulu in the near future? I guess how much of your focus is on... The, the network itself, that first run experience versus the long tail of the content that you're producing out of, out of your many labels? Well, you know, I think they all, all of the, the pieces all come together. I don't think it's, you know, um, I don't think you can separate how you think about that. You know, what we're thinking about right now is making sure we get the right shows to the right platforms, and because the initial exhibition is where a show is going to be marketed. It's 
particularly when you talk about um, ABC, which has this extraordinary reach still, you know, 145, you know, viewers a week, a million viewers a week that are um, watching broadcast television. So what we're thinking about at this stage is we're definitely starting to look at our platforms in more of a closed ecosystem. I think that's just the reality of our business right now. Mm-hmm. All of the bigger media companies right now are facing the reality that they're going to have to more and more supply themselves. So we're looking at you know, best possible content on each of our platforms is going to have an afterlife. It's not so different from what we've done in the past, which is um, make a great value proposition to creators, woo them, bring them into our ecosystem, get them to think their biggest thoughts, help them to curate ideas, help them to package them, get them onto the right platform, help them to be the biggest, most cultural defining hits that they can be, and then keep them in our library forever where they will be distributed over and over again with the only difference being the platforms that the secondary platforms are are going to exist inside of our own company. Does that change, um, I mean, does that change the way that you you project a a long-term value for a show? Does it change the sort of fundamental economic basis of what you think um, a, a drama will do or a comedy will do? if you know it's going to stay within the kind of a walled garden? I guess it does change the economics. You know, we are um, in a closed environment. And again, part of the, the challenge and what you have to think about is that all of these companies are becoming closed. Stuff does not syndicate off of Netflix and Amazon for the most part. Um, we have to be thinking about a long tail in terms of how it fuels our business. But when you think about what acquired content has done for these various platforms, um, for the growth of subscribers and the health of that ecosystem, there are different economics, but inside of the same organization as meaningful. But they're shifting from how do you monetize a single piece of content to how do you use a show to build platforms and recruit subscribers and to prevent churn. And, you know, again, Mm -hmm. we're all a little bit moving towards the same goal. So I think the economics of the entire industry are shifting, and this is where we are at this point. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that that the feeling is that television is really facing an existential crisis. That sounds... That sounds dramatic, but given you know all that that we're seeing and all the change in the marketplace, what you know as you as you formulated these plans, I'm presuming in you know in in concert with Peter Rice and Bob Iger, what what I guess Disney Plus and the streaming push is the response to what you see as that existential crisis. Well, I think yeah. I mean, you. It's hard to imagine a media company surviving well into the future without a strategy that is going direct to the consumer. That's just the reality of how an entire generation of consumers have been taught to watch television, and we all have to modernize and we all have to be part of evolving our businesses. 
at Walt Disney Television right now, our strategy is a little bit twofold. We have these mature, very well-established platforms, you know, clearly, you know, ABC, FX, Freeform, um, and really Hulu that's now in 29, you know, million subscribers strong. But our legacy businesses are going to help us as we pivot this company towards the future because they are actually robust and financially very strong. There's very meaningful revenue streams through the ad sales area and through um, retrans that keeping those platforms strong as our organization transitions to the future is mandatory And that's a little bit of what I feel is the best case scenario that we have at Disney right now, which is we have both. You know, we have these strong channels that um, are sort of megaphones to consumers where we're branding shows and we are um, still incredible reach vehicles for advertisers, one of the only places that an advertiser can go to reach, you know, 22 million people watched live in front of a studio audience. You know, Jimmy Kimmel and Norman Lear's special we did on ABC about a month ago, over seven days, it was 22 million viewers. That's an extraordinary proposition for sponsors and advertisers. And we're going to use those businesses again. And those are opportunities that our competitors don't have. They actually are competitors in the streaming space have to look to us in certain cases to try and market their shows and their brands. And we have this megaphone right inside our own organization. So we have to keep them strong. We have to keep them vital. And then we have to keep innovating. And both tracks have to move in a parallel manner. At 100 miles an hour on the 405. Yes, towards Burbank. Yeah, (laughs) at at around 4, 4.15 in the afternoon. let me ask you, as, as you know, there is a focus at the largest companies on the internal channels, is that, as particularly 20th Century Fox Television, all, you know, really made its reputation in selling everywhere. Is, that, is it fair to say that right now you're very much focused on the many lanes that you have to serve within Disney? I think, you know, we're trying to be focused a little bit on both because the reality of this exact, exact moment in time is that, You know, as we're developing with our creators right now, we're looking at our seven owned platforms primarily when we have our initial conversations. And the beauty of that is, you know, part of what we um, talk to creators about at 20th Century Fox Television was this independence. And what independence was, was being able to take every project to the right platform. This Is Us was right for NBC, Glee was right for Fox, Modern Family was right for ABC, How I Met Your Mother was right for CBS. Each of those networks, Homeland was right for Showtime, you know, all of the work we've done with John Landgraf and his great team were right for FX. Each of the Disney platforms right now services, to a certain extent, a different audience, You know, it's not as if we would spend a lot of time debating where internally, if you had, you know, a show that is perfect for families, 
that's probably going to be a Disney Plus show. Mm -hmm. If you have a show that is a more YA, female-leaning show, that's going to be Freeform. If you have something that is more edgy in the TVMA space, that's probably going to go to FX. You know, if you have something that targets the older segment of 18 through 49, that's probably a broadcast show. You know, we now have all of these options internally, but we will absolutely still be supplying um, platforms outside of our own in the near and foreseeable future. I mean, we have tremendous amount of production at Fox, and they are great partners. You mean the Fox Fox Network Network. now, yeah. Yes, Mm -hmm. and we fully intend to maintain strong development pipeline to that company. You know, we're really looking to them as our home away from home. You know, still when I drive on the Fox lot because... (laughs) Your car probably wants to go. I have an office there still at Fox because our production business is still on that lot. It feels, you know... Very much, I feel very much at home there. And the executives in that organization, you know, from Charlie Collier, but Michael Thorne and Charlie Andrews and that whole creative team are people that we've worked with for a very long time. And then we'll also take projects outside. We have projects right now in development at Amazon. Clearly, we have a lot right now at Hulu, which we're very happy about. We already had developed uh, strong inroads even prior to the announcement of the Comcast Disney deal around Hulu. So we'll stay in business, but we're starting to orient ourselves more towards our own platforms. Is there any kind of um, you know tribal council at some point where you look at the development, the things that have come in, and you you know you, you get the the people around the table and you think about as you say like is where is this really best positioned, or is it more of a case by case? situation at each at each network for the the, the 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 very granular development process you know i really like for the creative process to stay pure i don't really believe in retrofitting it i don't i don't think that's that's a route to having culturally defining content you know i think had we you know if we were designing a show you know for a platform i don't know that Modern Family would have come to be if we said, you know, you're at Fox, you're inside the Fox network. I mean, we always said, even when we were just part of the Fox universe at 20th Century Fox Television, in the case of a tie, the home team wins. And it's really a um, a great benefit to be the in-house studio and have the right show for that network. But it's also a terrible situation when you're inside a company and you've jammed a project to a sister company when it doesn't belong there. I mean, I think about, you know, Steve Levitan and Chris Lloyd creating Back to You with Patricia Heaton and Kelsey Grammer. And it ended up on Fox and there were a lot of internal pressures to deliver it there. And, you know, had we taken it to CBS at the time, it would probably still be on the air or would just be coming to an end right now. And... You know, you learn from all of those experiences, but we're not retrofitting. We're trying, the the first part of our process is, what's the best possible idea? And then we try taking that project to the place that it can succeed in its best form. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's very well understood that one of the toughest things about any large integration, of course, is the coming together of two very different cultures. I think it's fair to say that Disney and Fox had very, you grew up in very different cultures. How is that, how is that melding going 
And I think about the extra layer right now in our industry. There's a lot of scrutiny. You know, this industry has been jolted by the Me Too movement. There's a lot of scrutiny about inclusion and diversity. How are you managing all of that on a people basis? Wow, that was a lot of questions. As I know. (laughs) And we only have a few minutes left. (laughs) Okay, let me try to... I would say sweeping in the big picture uh, okay. culture. How do you make? Yeah. How do you? How do you get the culture you want your company to have? I actually don't think the two cultures are so different, and that is what I've noticed as I spend more time at Disney. These are both places that have best-in-class executives throughout their organizations. Um, I would say what I've learned personally in a short time is that. Um, At Fox, we were a little bit more siloed in each of the different companies. You know, towards the end, 21st Century Fox was, I think, a little bit more of a holding company than it was, you know, a corporate management Mm. for the various divisions. So um, I'd say the process at times was quicker, but not as thoughtful. And there weren't the deep resources that we have now at Disney. Everywhere from, you know, HR, which I have found to be an extraordinary organization at Disney, of very senior-level executives who have been so thoughtful about the culture, about welcoming the Fox executives in. We actually did a whole day, uh, Disney put on a whole day, for the incoming Fox team. It was an onboarding session where each of the division heads, you know, from Bob Chapik at the parks to Kevin Mayer, Bob Iger started the day, um, Alan Bergman and Alan Horn, who just sat with us in such a thoughtful way to tell us how they think about their business and whatever they're doing, which we've now had some insight into, they're doing it really well. And we've just all learned so much, and I can speak on behalf of all of the Fox, former Fox executives. That's been a pleasure, and it's been kind of mind-blowing to see how this extraordinary global organization thinks about all of these decisions. So culture, I have found not to be as steep an integration process as everybody likes to talk about. Um, Me too, you know, really hard Uh, and continues to be something we think about all the time. And I guess I would say for myself personally, you know, going through the past couple years as a senior level female executive, I've been sort of stunned and saddened at what I thought was an organization run by a woman would be a place where younger women and women throughout an organization would feel empowered to step forward and um, talk about conditions which are intolerable or stand up for themselves um, and feel like they would be supported just by virtue of the fact that I'm sitting in the seat I am in. And that was very naive. You know, the bottom line is having gender balance throughout an organization is mandatory. And Female executives have to sit in every meeting in the same number as their male counterparts, and they have to be seen throughout the management chain. And that's a lot of what we worked on at Fox. I actually was very proud at the point the transaction closed 
60% of our workforce from senior vice president down were women. And I thought that was a good move in the right direction. In terms of inclusion and genuine diversity, we have so much more work to be done. And, you know, we just had an incredible um, summit where we heard from a lot of different specialists. And I think just continued continuing to think about what our processes are, what our unconscious biases are, how to overcome them, how to create a pipeline of creative executives and creators in our organization that represent genuine inclusion is good for business. It's not politically correct. It's a scenario for success. And those are um, agendas that are wildly supported by Disney. So I think we're all on a really good track right now. Yeah, it's been a it's been a, a rocky road, but I feel like the awareness and the the sensitivity is is so heightened. Well, you have so many things to do. We are so grateful <laughs> that you spent. And I have to get to Burbank. Yes, yeah. established. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for My your pleasure. time and spending this really time. Really happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business. 